All right, 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 8. <coughs> we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters, about the troubles we experienced in the province of Asia. We were under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure, so that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt we had received the sentence of death, but this happened that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. He has delivered us from such a deadly peril, and he will deliver us again. On him we have set our hope that he will continue to deliver us. As you help us by your prayers, then many will give thanks on our behalf for the gracious favor granted us and answer to the prayers of many. Now we'll just stop right there real quickly and we'll go back to verse 8. And Paul right here is um, writing the church of Corinth. And as it says here, it's uh, 2 Corinthians, so it's his second letter. And actually there's a total of three letters that Paul had written. Um, and we know this because he states it in the text. Um, although we don't have his third letter. Um, but that's that's besides the point. Nonetheless, he's writing to them and he wants them to know something. Um, he wants them to know that he's going through pressure. And he wants them to know that um, he's going through troubles and they've experienced it in the province of Asia. And this is useful for them. It's not just like Paul is trying to vent. Like just trying to get some stuff off of his chest, right? This is something he doesn't want them to be ignorant of. And at times it's going to be necessary for you to explain what it is that you have gone through to other people. Um, I didn't read it, but in the beginning, uh, verse 3, he says, Praise be to the God of and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles, so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves receive from God. For just as we share abundantly in the sufferings of Christ, so also our comfort abounds through Christ. If we are distressed, it is for your comfort and salvation. And so, he's telling us that the God whom we serve is a God of compassion, and he's a God of, of comfort. And he comforts us in not some of our distresses. He comforts us in all of them. So whether it's mental or whether it's spiritual or whether it's relational, whether it's, you know, you, you just compound the problems. And regardless of whatever, whatever problems we are going through, God has promised to be the God of comfort. Because God doesn't try to be the God of comfort. He is. And so God cannot try to do otherwise nor or he can't try to be the god of comfort nor try to not be he is um you know the the term he refers to himself when speaking to moses he says i am and um he says i am that i am and if you want to get fancy um the proper uh way to refer to that grammar there is to say that it's first person uh, singular uh, it's a present singular verb and that's all to say that he is in the present not that he was or will be he is and so what does that mean that now is God the God of comfort right he's the same yesterday today and forevermore and so if, whenever we ask the question, if God is, we can, we can answer in the affirmative and say that he has already declared, I am. Right? Go ahead, sister. And, no, that's, that's true. Um, in fact, Jesus bases an entire argument off, a, um, off the tense of a verb. Um, well, since that we're talking about this here, um, <coughs> grammar matters to God and 
punctuation matters to God. The reason why it matters to God is because commas and tenses and verbs, they're all vehicles for communication. Commas communicate something. Tense communicates something. Um, if I said, I, um, I is not going, you know, if I just start scrambling my words, you're, you're not going to make sense of what I'm saying. I'm jumbling stuff together. So it's important about being precise in our speech because God is the God of speech. In John chapter one, it says that, um, to, you know, to quote in the Greek in arche in hologos, in the beginning was the word. The word logos means word or logical discourse or logic. <laughs> My boy. Um, it means word, reason, logic. And so God is a God who is concerned with speech and words and, and logic and reasoning. And, um, so we have to be careful about the tenses that we're, that we're using in the commas. Jesus said that not even a jot nor tittle shall in no wise pass until all things are accomplished. A jot and a tittle in the Hebraic language was like equivalent to an apostrophe or a comma or something similar to that. And so he's telling us that even down to that is very important. So <clears throat> going back to the idea of when uh, the Sadducees quoted would challenge Jesus. They said, is there, you know, they're questioning him on the resurrection. And he said that God is the God of the living and not the dead. And he quotes the passage where God told Abraham, I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Now, wh what importance does that have in relationship to the resurrection? It has this importance because if Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob had ceased to exist as the Sadducees had suggested, that was their view, that there is no continuation of life after death. There are no spirits that continue on. Or at the very least, there are spirits that do live and inhabit our bodies, but uh, enter into oblivion once they die. Uh, so once you know we pass on, then... It just, they vanish, right? There's no existence from that point forward. Now, Jesus says, God uh, God said, I am the uh, a God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And now notice, this was told to Moses, and Moses had come after Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So from the time frame, the time stamp of Moses, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob was, and not are. And so if God is saying, not that I was the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, that would suggest that at one time I was their God, but they're no longer existing. However, God said, I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. That is, and that was quoted, the tense there is uh, first, first person singular present. So that means in the present moment, I am still their God. And that is to say that Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob are still in existence. And so Jesus bases an entire argument off a, the tense of a verb. And so how careful ought we to be when examining the scriptures? We have to be careful because um, we can forfeit our under, a true understanding of what God intends to communicate to us based off what we assume it to say rather than what it does say. And this is where it, we especially need the help of the Holy Spirit because the Sadducees studied the law, the Pharisees studied the law day and night like many seminarians do um, and many intellectuals do who make it nothing more than an intellectual pursuit but are nonetheless deprived of the presence of God, the anointing to grace them for understanding and insight. They open the Bible, but there are no seals open to them. They're, the seals are closed to them because they're reading through um, a, a mere carnal mind. Um, and so nonetheless, going back to uh, first, uh, Second Corinthians, 
God is the God of compassion and all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles. So God, God doesn't, God is not a God of, of discomfort. He's not the God of discomfort. It doesn't say that anywhere in the text. So why is it that we continue to assume that God meets us with this unbearing cruelty? See, there's a very real devil who causes these things. This is why Paul says in 1 Thessalonians, we long to come to you again and again, but Satan hindered us. Satan is referred to as the adversary, as the accuser, as the serpent, as the ancient serpent, as the dragon, as the deceiver, um, and the list goes on. He's referred to as many things, and this is his characteristic. This is his identity. And so he meets us with uh, peril. He meets us with danger. He meets us with um, sharp teeth like a lion seeking to devour us through sin, through destruction. The Bible says that the devil comes to kill, steal, and destroy. But Jesus had come so that he would give us life and it more abundantly. So God is the God of comfort and that's, that is a consolation to us that in all of our troubles that God will meet us, will promises to meet us with comfort. So guess what? If you find yourself distressed about something and as you begin to review your problems and you become more discouraged, you can be assured that those thoughts are not stemming from God. Because God's God's intent is not to make you more burdened than you are. His intent is not to make me more burdened than I am. The ministry of the Holy Spirit is that he comforts us in our weakness. He strengthens us in our weakness. He alleviates our distress. And so Paul is saying, the comfort that we've received of God when you are distressed, we now administer to you. And so why is it important that Paul is telling the Corinthian church that I would not have you ignorant of our trouble that came to us in Asia? Do we not find comfort as we review some of the, the persecutions of Paul? Because if they didn't go through trouble, we would be tempted to suspect that there's something wrong with us. I remember when I was a, when I was a baby Christian and I was like, Dang, why am I going through all of this? And I was really perplexed because I thought I was doing something wrong. I thought, did I sin too much? Did I do this? Is God punishing me for my previous life? What is it that... And I remember re reviewing there in First Peter where it says, Think it not strange, my brothers, concerning the fiery trial that has come to try you as though some strange thing were happening to you. But rejoice in as much as you are partakers of the sufferings of Christ. For the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. And so the suffering is, an in, is indicative of the fact that you and I have, have treasure in us. We have value. And the enemy as a thief seeks to rob that value and confiscate it for himself. You know, the thing is, the Bible says in Haggai chapter 2, um, if I'm not mistaken, the Lord says the silver and gold are mine. Well, what does Peter say of our faith? That it is as gold refined through fire. And so God is working and refining by allowing the enemy to do such things to us. Not that God is you know, having a counsel with the devil and say, hey, here, do this to him. Um, I understand we read the book of Job and we see that God permits such things, but God never incited the, de the devil to do anything to us. The devil has his own will, just as we. He's a personal agent who has freedom on earth to wreak havoc on the church. And so our gold is refined as fire. And so God the Bible says in Haggai, silver and gold are mine, so God wants what you have. 
and so does the devil. He he wants you to be the devil wants you to become a trophy for his kingdom. You know, has it ever occurred to you that God had suggested to the devil? He says, "Here's my servant Job. There's no one like him." It's as if um, a jeweler was telling a thief where the greatest prized possession was. Why? Because God can demonstrate his ability to keep in face of a, a competitive thief. Do you see? Now to him who is able to keep you from falling and present you faultless at his coming. Now to him who preserve your spirit, soul, and body blameless until the coming of the Lord. God's ability is sufficient to keep us. And so, but Paul, just as we find comfort in his resume of, of spiritual suffering and physical suffering, and I, I know I do because I find that I'm not alone. That it's not a strange thing that I'm going through this. It's not a strange thing that you're going through what you're going through. Whatever it is, it's not strange. You know, Peter says, uh, he says, um, he speaks of the sufferings um, in his first letter. And he says, the same sufferings that are going on throughout the whole world among your brethren. And so, regardless of whether you're in a different continent, of a different culture, we are going through similar sufferings. And so Paul is saying, look, I, I, I don't want you to be ignorant of this because in my admission of this, you know, because I remember when I was first saved and I remember I had a pastor, it was my first pastor, and I would ask him a bunch of questions. And the reason why I was probing his brain and picking it was because I wanted to make sure that he was going through similar things as myself. Because <laughs> I was, I was, I was just so uncertain about about everything. I didn't know what to expect, and um, <clears throat> I didn't want to wait too long to find out whether this was valid or not. And so, <laughs> I'm. I'm asking him questions and um, only to discover that he himself was going through very similar things. And so um, Paul is was flesh and blood like us. In fact, more comforting, Jesus himself was flesh and blood like us. It says that he part, became a partaker of flesh and blood so that as he took on the seed of Abraham he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God. And so since he was he was tempted on all points like yet uh, like us, yet he did not sin. He is able to empathize with our sufferings. He's able to empathize. In other words, sympathy is I'm standing at a distance from you and I am go I my heart reaches out to you in pity, but empathy Suggest I myself not only am pitiful and compassionate toward you, I understand exactly what you're going through. I've gone through it. And so, instead of a, a religious Pharisee looking down on us, jeering at us, and in a very condescending way looking down at us, Jesus rather comes to the side of us and begins to aid us, begins to strengthen us, begins to uh, encourage us. And Paul says, we were under great pressure. So he doesn't just say pressure. He says great pressure. You know, one of the things about certain believers, unfortunately, is that they don't have the build necessary to endure great pressure. And in fact, the problem largely is that they don't, ex they don't think that they can expect great pressure. And therefore, when it comes upon them, um, they might uh, call it legalism 
or they might say, you know, they might give all these different excuses to explain away why they don't have to endure certain things. Um, <laughs> I remember when we were church planning, there was this brother. I I can't help but laugh um, because I know him. He was a real good friend of mine, so I can kind of laugh at him, you know, and because. Um, I would laugh at him in front of it, like in his face, not to scoff at him, but like, come on, bro, we both know this is true, like sort of thing. And um, I remember, because you know, he would he would be under a lot of pressure because, just like myself, we would do a lot of things for the church, and um, he was feeling sacrifice and um, he was feeling the weight of sacrifice, and so he would help lead us in worship, um, and. Um, as he would open up, he'd always break down crying, like not just like in the presence of God, but he'd be like, "It's so hard." He, he would, <laughs> and then my pastor at the time, we would be like, "Bro, you're always breaking down. You're always folding. What's up, man?" <laughs> He's all, "It's so." Hard. Like always talking about quitting. I'm like, bro, be quiet, move forward. Like that's just that's that's not like you just like stubbed your toe or something. You're not going through pressure. You know? You just didn't have coffee this morning or something in a foot robe in a you know, a back rub or something, you know. And uh I know I joke about it, but the point though I'm trying to make is that um, we go through great pressure and we, we should expect to and by the grace of God we can and should be able to endure the reason why people fold like that a lot of the time is because they're soulish and they're fleshly and so when the heat gets turned up there's an incapacity to endure and they feel like a living mess. They feel like a wreck. Um, because they haven't tapped into Christ as the source of their strength. You know, the problem really, the reason why men and women are weak is because they're too strong in the flesh. That's the problem why. Guess what? No matter how strong you are, and no matter how strong you or I are, uh, am in the flesh, when met with spiritual pressure, you will collapse. You're not strong enough for that. It's it's as oil mixing with water. There's an incompatibility. It's it's a categorical fallacy. It's like me saying I smell the color blue or I hear the number one. It's incompatible. You can't match flesh with spirit. So when we're up against principalities or demons... It's of no wonder why people are folding the way they do because they're trying to match what is unmatchable. You have to contend by the Spirit. Therefore, it says in Ephesians 6, Be strong in the Lord and the power of His might. The power of His might. Not our power. You know, we might look at a Navy SEAL and be intimidated. You know, the interesting thing is, I've met soldiers who are Christians, but they were infants in the spirit, very weak. So that is suggestive of the fact that no matter how strong you are in the flesh, if it doesn't translate to the spiritual, you are weak. You're a weak individual. Amen. And yet the most frail, the frail even um, youth who have come to meet their God, and know their God, and dwell with their God, and in, are intimate with their God, they have a strength greater than a Navy SEAL. Why? Because the Holy Ghost is greater than men. His wisdom is greater than the wisdom of men. Hallelujah. Why? For what purpose? To confound men. To leave them speechless. Why is it that Jesus was in the temple at such a young age confounding the scribes and the Pharisees? Was it because he was God in the flesh? No, it wasn't. 
He didn't rely on his omnipotence. He didn't rely on all of his knowledge. Philippians tells us this. Though God, he did not cling to his rights as God, but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant. And as he emptied himself, he became obedient, even obedient to the death of a cross. So he was found in fashion like us and lived a life like us, dependent on the Holy Ghost. Though God, he was man dependent on the Spirit. And so the grace that would make for such wisdom was upon Christ because he appropriately and, uh, and, and had yielded to the Spirit. <coughs> and, um, you know, so why? Because God, the Bible says this, Paul says this actually in 2 Corinthians, but later in the chapters, he says, he says, we have this treasure in earthen vessels so that the excellency of the power of God might be manifest that it's not from us, but from him. And so, you know, why, why is it that, you know, you can get someone again who's very frail in the flesh and who has much strength in the spirit, so that you can look and see that the excellency of that power is not from them. Why is it that, for example, and I, I just say this as a reference point, why is it that someone like myself will confound intellectuals who have their masters in theology? Because they aren't called, I am. So a grace is on my life to give me insight where they lack. Why is it that, you know, Daniel far excelled above the astrologers and the soothsayers? What did Daniel say? He says, this revelation has been revealed to you, O king. And he says, he says, I'm not wiser than all of the living, but that you may know there's a God who reveals secrets. This dream interpretation has been shown to you. So what was the purpose to point to a God who is excellent in wisdom and knowledge? So it's not about us. Even Paul says that. And that's what, see, this is what people need to understand. When someone is anointed, truly anointed by the Lord, and operates in power and authority, and there, there are, and I'm not talking about someone getting upset with, things personally, like, you know, maybe their character flaws or something like that, but they get upset with the grace that they carry, those people are carrying an antichrist spirit. See, you, you got to be careful when someone's anointed by the Lord and you contend against them because you might be operating under an antichrist spirit because they're not just any man. They're not just any woman. They're a man or a woman of, of, of whom the anointing of the Holy Ghost rests. So that, Jesus says this, if you receive them, you received me. And I can show you in the text where it says that. And who was he referring to in context? He was referring to the ministers. And that's why, but I, I, I think you get the point. Um, that's why, for example, um, let me let me try to give a good example to to demonstrate this. Okay, uh, someone says again. I'm I'm assuming I'm not talking about false ministers. I'm talking about true ministers who are really anointed by the Lord by the Holy Ghost. And someone says, "Who are you?" That person is un, under an antichrist spirit, especially if it's if it's certain that that's a man or a woman of God called. Why? Because the that's the same attitude they have toward God. You, you, you can't submit to a God you cannot see if you can't submit to a man of God or a woman of God whom you can see. Amen and hallelujah. Oh, go ahead, sis. The reason for that is because there is there is um, a proper uh, rank. Um, that's why the Bible even says uh, to Timothy, he says, "Rebuke not an elder." Um, and there there are certain um, protocols that are appropriate in the kingdom, and 
that's one of them, you know, sis. Um, but it's 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 true. Um, you know, if you if you can't submit to a God you cannot see, then you won't be able to submit to a man or a woman of God whom you can see. And that's that's where a lot of people they will they will pride themselves that they're very. I posted something recently on my Facebook, and I said some of the most venomous, poisonous people are those that are nice. And you have you have to hear what I'm about to say. Um, okay, what is that? First Kings twenty two verse twenty four. Zedekiah the son of walked up and struck. Okay, on the cheek and said, which way did the Spirit of the Lord go from me in order to speak to... Oh, wow. <laughs> so that's interesting. Um, <clears throat> thank you, sis. Um, oh, boy, what was I saying? Oh, the, about nice. the... Yeah, the nice. <clears throat> um, some of the most venomous people are are nice people. And, um, and w- what I was saying there is because I said, I, some of the people that have been so resentful and have shown hatred and pride and stubbornness were the people that had the biggest smiles in my face. And when I corrected their beliefs, not, not my opinion, when I would go to the text and I say, this is what the text says, they would get angry. They would insult me. And, and whereas someone who just, you know, was more frank and more blunt, you know, just spoke their mind, but didn't resort to insults, you know, but I I was saying that just because you're nice temperamentally doesn't mean that you're kind spiritually. Sometimes there are people that are nice in the flesh. And when when you play your when, when you when you hit the right chord, they'll manifest on you, and they'll they'll get angry. Why? Because they're not nice or kind in the spirit. And that's why when I share spiritual words to to try to speak to the spirit, they'll manifest. And my point is this: if the Holy Ghost is in you and you're operating by the Spirit, why are you getting mad at His words? What's in you that's making you get mad at this? Is it a demon? Is it the flesh? What is it? What What's that rebellious spirit prompting you? That antichrist spirit? Because the Holy Ghost don't get mad at His own word. And and I'm not I'm not you know and I'm I understand people coming, um, just. Abnox, like very, you know, are very obnoxious, very just ugly. I'm not talking about that. I'm just talking about a pure, simple delivery of the word. Let's talk about the word, and you know, and um, people manifest. Why? Because every thought comes from a spirit. So there's spirit speaking to you about what you think the Bible's saying, and it's not the spirit. It's not the Holy Spirit. It's different spirits. It's either your spirit or a demon spirit. That's the only place thoughts come from. Thoughts don't come from flesh. Thoughts come from spirits. <coughs> and so my point though was that some of some of the most spiritual people are those that are viewed by many of the church as too rough, critical, um and they're just accused of so many things, just like Jesus. They accuse him of being possessed. They accuse John the Baptist of being possessed, right? And they have to resort to your character that's actually an upright character because they can't handle the, with the wisdom that you're coming with, you know? And so, but um, we have to walk in the Spirit and bear fruits of the Spirit. And, you know... Love is one of the most prostituted words. People don't know what that even means. They think that you have to have these fuzzy feelings and feel, you know, like you're cuddling up to a teddy bear. And that's not true. That's that's certainly not the case when it comes to very wicked people that are threatening me. You know, I, um, 
you know. I mean, was Paul not loving when he cursed a man to become blind? Was Peter not loving when he said, your money perish with you? Was Peter not loving when he says, you know, uh, yeah, people are about to carry out your body right now because you lied to the Holy Ghost? We forget about that. Now, I'm not saying they got trigger happy and started issuing that out to everybody who came across their paths. But the point, though, nevertheless, yeah, that's a good passage there, sis. Faithful are the wounds of a friend who corrects out of love and concern, but the kisses of an enemy are deceitful because they serve his hidden agenda. You know, that's why people who always kiss butt, I'm like, you're fake. All on Instagram. Oh, yeah, praise the Lord. Oh, yay. You know, it's like, they kiss butt. But you don't care about me because you, you will, you'll be so cowardly to refrain from correcting me if it cost me my life. It's, it's, it's cowardice. You know, it's the way the world loves. It's the way the world loves. And, um, you know, it's, it's sad. And, um, you know, it's like our mothers and fathers. Assuming that they did love us, uh, very well. Um, some of the things they told us weren't the best, you know, and they, they may have had ops off days where they, they may not have told you in the best way, but it was from sincerity. It was from love. And, um, you know, you find out who really loves you. Uh, I think by two ways when you suffer and when you do well. Not just when you suffer. Because if you look in the Old Testament, I forgot who it was, but there was a man that, there was certain soldiers that were only able to fight with the man of God when he was in the valley. When he exited the valley, they no longer were in partnership with each other. So there's some people, they love fighting with you when you're suffering. Why? Because it's your valleys that make them feel comfortable because you're below right where they're at. But when you begin to celebrate and you begin become elevated, they get offended at your progress. And they flee from you. Now, there are also others that are different in their temperaments and they will celebrate with you. Right? But when it comes to you suffering, they're like, later, that's too much of a burden. Gotta go. Bye. Positive vibes. Nah, I only need positive. All right? That's what they say. Like, I ain't got time for all that. Like, I need positive vibes. Right? And, no. Paul says this. He says, this is the epitome of love. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. You need both. That That's love. Is that I can celebrate when you celebrate, even if I'm not celebrating myself. I don't grow, I don't grow envious. I don't grow jealous. And I can also I can also be with you while you suffer, even if I'm not suffering. Because guess what? When the people you love suffer, that's an inconvenience to your comfort. Amen. And can you suffer when you're doing good and it's an inconvenience to your celebration? So guess what? You're just getting married and you found out someone you loved died. You have to go to a funeral. Do you get upset at that? That's what I'm saying. Sometimes we might deceive ourselves because we got big smiles. You know, it's like I remember uh, some years back there's uh, when I was doing a work here in my town, and there was this brother. He was very, very oh, because he he used to be a homosexual. And so he was more on the feminine side. And that, no, I'm not saying that, you know, he, once he converted to Christ, I'm not saying that everybody got to be macho, you know. But, you know, if they have some feminine overtones and they're not gay, hey, you know, some, God makes different people different. You know, that's fine. Just as long as you're not swinging the wrong way. Um, <clears throat> but, you know, he would be like, oh, brother, and buy me gifts and you know, do all that stuff. And, but when, when you, when I would tell him like, Hey bro, I need you to, um, 
buy some cups for our gathering later get all bent out of shape why because he didn't he didn't want to take directives he and even if it's in a humble way not like hey go fetch me no 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 it was hey brother uh i need you to go buy some cups for our gathering today and i will pay you back and and then immediately start manifesting in the flesh why because everybody is 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 jolly until it come when it comes down to sacrifice and it comes down to obedience it comes down to you know getting in a fight with not not with your brother uh, against your brother but with them in order to serve people and that's what it was for it was so that we can buy coffee for lost people to come in you know have like snacks or coffee before we had our gathering or whatever you know just to be hospitable to people and you know and so can we have the the love and the sacrifice to exit outside of ourselves can we exit outside of what our concerns are and ask ourselves what is the concerns of the kingdom because even though here's the thing that i've learned everybody is it everybody at the end of the day is really concerned for self and it's very few people that paul like paul saying to timothy i have no one like timothy who will naturally care for the things of the lord naturally for some it's like pulling teeth for some it's like getting trying to take a cat a bath they will you will come out scathed you come out scratched <laughs> <laughs> it's unfortunate it's unfortunate why what's the root problem <coughs> the root problem is that we aren't as spiritual as we claim to be we got a lot of religion a lot of soulish feelings a lot of rebellion like just yesterday i i, I had a post on facebook and there's this girl that had the audacity to start insulting me um, just appealing to ad hominems because she couldn't stand against the the position I was taking, and um, and uh, yeah, just saying, oh, you're smoking some good weed. What high you on? And she's claiming to be a Christian. I'm like, really? Why do you have to appeal to insults? Because you know we treat our brothers and sisters this way. When it's not even true about me. It's not even true. You're slandering me. You know? I can see if it was true that maybe, you know, I, I was like, it, she was said a lot of other things about me. If those things were true, then they're true. But even if they were true, we're talking about the word. Why do you have to talk about me? You know? It's like Dore Love. When I went on live, I don't know if you guys see that. But it's um, it's ridiculous. It's utterly ridiculous. We need a reform in the church when it comes to our character. We need a reform in the church when it comes to our attitudes. You know, I know that none of us are perfect. We might have faults and stuff like that. But at the end of the day, when push comes to shove, can you still love? Can you still push forward? Can you still say no to sin? Can you still uh, sacrifice? Can you? You know, I, God isn't looking for perfection. He's looking for commitment. He's looking for heartfelt commitment, dedication. Whether I'm suffering, I will commit. Whether I'm doing good, I will commit. Whether things are in my favor, I will commit. Whether they're not in my favor, I'm going to stay consistent on the narrow road. I'm going to love God's people and love Him. Regardless. I'm going to stay true to the Word. I'm going to submit to the Word. Why? Because He gave everything for me. I must now therefore yield my body we must yield our bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto the Lord. You know, people say all day long, I'll die for the Lord. He's telling you to live for Him. And you can't do that. You know, <clears throat> some people 
Because for some, dying is like a sprint. It's like, oh, just put a bullet in my head. Oh, cool, I'm gone. You know, that was quick. And then you go on the other side. Hey, I'm in heaven now. Praise the Lord. Versus going through a marathon. And you're dying by a thousand cuts. And some people don't make it. You know, the reality is that some people would have made it if they died in an instant with a bullet by their persecutors, but they won't make it through a marathon. Because some are sprinters and not long-haul joggers. You have to be able to not only have the zeal to go forward, but the wisdom to appropriate and conserve your energy. That's where we're tested. <clears throat> but I'll say a little bit more um, about this um, and then we'll close. <coughs> Verse 9, Indeed we felt we had received the sentence of death. So he says it's beyond our ability. He says we are under such great pressure beyond our ability to endure. You think God, God was not ignorant to that. He's seen in fact, Paul tells us there's a specific purpose for that. And he tells us in verse 10, He has delivered us, uh, oh no, verse 9, And did we felt we had to receive the sentence of death, but this happened that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God. Let me give you some examples of how you might rely on yourself. Well, let's first take a biblical example. What did Abraham do when to rely on himself? He wanted a promise from God. What did he do? He did some pretty shady stuff to his wife. It's like, oh, you know, he slept with Hagar. Even though Sarah, you know, kind of consented to it. And, well, they birthed in Ishmael. Relying on the works of the flesh, relying on the arm of the flesh. What what does it look like to, you know? <laughs> oh boy, I remember some some what like maybe a year ago, two years ago. There was these there was this couple. They're saying, "Oh, the Lord blessed us with a home." We're like, "Oh, great!" And then as they're and then uh, but behind closed doors, there was something confessed to someone that they lied on a formal document in order to get in there. Like, God didn't bless you with that. You blessed yourself. You had to lie. Go ahead, sis. Same here. Someone yeah, the, yeah, no, exactly. That's, that's uh, uh, an example of what it means to be <clears throat> an emotional Christian. Um, you know, it's like the same stuff I hear when, like, oh, you know... Um, you know, she she is a, you know, she and I are just meant for meant for each other. We read the Bible, we go to church together, and it's like, oh, cool. And so, how long she been saved? Oh, well, you know, about that, um, I'm working on her. Oh, I see, you're working on. Her. She's not saved. No, but she's reading the Bible. We got a little Bible study going on. She even listened to Paul Washer. Right, So you start justifying it by worldly standards and it doesn't matter if someone's reading the Bible. How's their relationship with God? And, and we package it just to, you know, it, it's like, for example, you know, on, on my, uh, on my uh, what's it called? On my job applications, I got fired from a job before. Am I going to lie? No. I'm going to, uh, you know, I was, I was 19 years old and, you know, my mom had recently passed and I told them I couldn't come into work. I was depressed. And they said, well, you know, there's no one to fulfill your position and, you know, you're the only one that can do this position. I said, well, hey, I don't know what to tell you. I'm going through some stuff. He said, well, we're going to give you a no call, no show. And so, you know, I lost my job. Well, I'm not going to lie about it. It's the truth. I'm not going to package it just to make it look better so I can feel better about myself and you can think of me other than what I really am. And that's where we have to trust God or we trust our tactics. 
lying on report cards, lying on job applications, lying, you know, uh, putting a bunch of filters on your Instagram to make you look prettier than you are or more buff than you are. Everybody's just putting these false images out there, you know, editing the photo to make them look more cut and ripped than they are. And let's, let's stay in tune with reality and not a false image because God isn't into deception. Yeah, have you guys seen that little meme? I remember uh, it was a, it was like a little video, and I guess this girl was meeting up with this guy, and the dude looked like a model. And then <laughs> she opens the car, and the dude don't even got eyebrows. Like she's like, "What happened to your eyebrows?" He's like, "Uh, you know." And <laughs> it wasn't the guy. <laughs> it wasn't the same guy. And so, um. <clears throat> But my point, though, that I'm making is, are we relying on the Lord? You know, recently, um, <clears throat> I, I had paid tithes, and it was my last $100. That left me with zero in my bank account. Am I going to trust? Because God's word says what it says. So am I going to violate God's word because God understands? No. God doesn't understand that you're going to disobey. God doesn't understand that. So am I going to am I going to violate his word? So or cuz here's the thing, the commands of God won't conflict with each other. People always sissify everything. Oh, well God understands, brother. I'm I'm in dire straits. You don't have enough money. Well, what did God say in his word? That if you ask, you shall receive. Did he not? That if you seek, you shall find. Oh, God understands that, you know, my my, my uh, children need friends to play with, so I'm going to allow them to go to the next door neighbors or some other place where it's a hellhole and they learn all these bad ethics. Right? And then guess what? Years later, they're rebellious and they're blasphemers of God. And guess whose fault it is? It's your fault. Ain't the devil's fault. It ain't a witch's fault. It ain't a spell's fault. It's your fault because you don't obey God. You didn't trust him and you trusted in your own understanding. That's the problem. You know, I, you can't t I can't tell you how much flack I got because I said my children aren't going to celebrate Halloween. Guess who was mad at, at me? The kids. And guess who said, oh, you're just religious, you're just uptight, you're just strict. Um, okay, and, and guess what? <clears throat> when I pulled them out of school, and I say, you're not hanging out with these people anymore. Right? Guess who? And then all the Christians, with their better, their holier-than-thou understanding, because they're relying more on the world's wisdom than the word of God, guess, who, guess who's the one that's out of touch? Me. Why? Because I'm more out of touch with the culture of the world and I'm not in touch with what you guys are saying. I'm more in touch with God's word and God's word. God is pleased with me and he's displeased with you. And you're upset and feel inferior because I'm pleasing my father and you're not. And where does it come down to? You're not trusting the word of God. You can't deal with the fact that there might be separation in the house because Christ divides. He says in his word, and it's not legalism. What is it? It's, it's love. It's loving his word, loving his person, loving him that he gave everything for me. I must give everything to him. Even if he says, don't withhold your own son from me. Don't withhold him. You know why? Because I have learned that God is really good. And even in the times I don't understand, he's asking me to sacrifice what he told me to give up, namely my son. I end up becoming a father of many nations and have many sons. You see that? And he doesn't even end up requiring the very thing he asked. He allows me to keep. He wants my heart. Go ahead, sis. No, absolutely. Um, yes, and so... We have to trust the Lord. And and the Lord, he tests us. Does he not say in the in the law? He says 
He says he put his own people, allowed them to go through the wilderness to test their hearts. God already knows what's in your heart. You don't a lot of the times. I don't. You know, people <laughs> uh, you know, people say, Oh, you know, we're in love. We just want to get married. And then it's like the love, the so called love is tested when you're put through the fire. Anybody can say vows. Anybody. They're doing it all the time in Las Vegas. They meet someone the first night and they're already saying vows. It means nothing. We're tested. We're tested. And Paul was tested with something that he couldn't endure in himself. Why? He now has an option. Do I go to the God who can strengthen me? Or do I do this myself? Do I follow a satanic wisdom? Or do I follow? I want you to understand that every time you say yes to, to your will, that's satanic. That's pleasing demons. That's a scary thought. Amen. To please demons. Don't 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 allow this to be lighter than what it actually is in truth. What does James say? He says the wisdom of this world is demonic. What is the wisdom of this world? Anything contrary to the wisdom of God. Anything. So, you know, be vindictive instead of forgive. Demonic. Harbor resentment, demonic. Rebel, demonic. Lie on your tax return so you can get more money, demonic. <clears throat> Justify who you're dating, even though that this person isn't godly, demonic. Oh, go a day without prayer, demonic. Who t Did the Holy Ghost tell you you can, you can go on a day without seeking his face? Is that what the Holy Ghost said? What spirits are we listening to that fed us that information? Not God. Give us this day our daily bread. Daily. Not weekly. Not monthly. Daily. And he says, he has delivered us from such a deadly peril. So God did not require that they endure without deliverance. There was deliverance for them. He says, a deadly peril, and he will deliver us again. So why can you believe God today that he will deliver you? Because he has already done it in the past for you. He will do it again. And if you can't draw back from your testimonies, then you should probably get to know God because you don't know him. If you don't have any testimonies, you're not serving the true and living God. Because it is, a, it, it is a lie to say that you're serving a God of deliverance and God of comfort and a God of power. And don't have anything to testify about what he has done for you in your life. <clears throat> Did not David says, I will recount the deeds of the Lord for they are, he says, they are too numerous. You know, I, I've wanted to in the past to write down everything that God is, like every testimony, but I'd probably I'd probably have a pile of pens and forget because God does so much. And there will be times that God has done things that I was ignorant of that he was doing behind the scenes. This uh, car should have hit us, we should have died, or, or something should have happened. But God has been gracious. God has delivered you know, and, and it seems to be like for some, the only thing they can testify about is how they've been delivered from their old life. And they can't, it's like every other rap song today. That's all they're talking about. It's like, okay, what, what, God, what has God been doing new in your life other than what you've been rapping about 10 years ago? I'm not saying that our testimony is important because it is. It has its place. But what new testimonies? What has God been adding to your life? What has he delivered you from recently? <clears throat> and lastly, it says, um, He has delivered us from such a deadly peril, and he will deliver us again. On him we have set our hope that he will continue to deliver us. As you help us by your prayers, then many will give thanks on our behalf 
for the gracious favor granted us in answer to the prayers of many. So the Lord is going to continue to deliver us. But it's not unaided by our praying. <clears throat> Sadly, we we live in a day and age that we we no longer believe in this. We no longer believe in the holy art of of seeking the face of God and praying. Um, we think that God is just going to do everything. That's not true. God said God already did it all. He already sent His Son to die on the cross. He said it's finished. Now you get to work. What is our work? Our work is precisely that. It's seeking his face and asking from him. That is our work. And for anybody to suggest that it's not a work is is lying and don't know what it means to actually seek his face. It, you're not going to get maximum blessings from popcorn uh, prayers or putting things in the microwave, right? And expecting it overnight. There's things that I've been praying about, as I've said before, uh, in some cases with my friends for 10 years 10 years it's a long time times I grew faint hearted times I wanted to give up you know but for some of us you've sacrificed too much and you've gone too far that to go back is too long of a journey and you'll faint on the way You've traveled so far that though you're a, that you're, you're thinking you might faint if you continue forward, it is equally true if you faint if you go backwards. You might as well go forward. It's a done deal. Amen. Amen. You know, I I I told the Lord. I said, Lord, if there ever comes a point that I can't continue, just take my life now because I can't go back. I can't, Amen. I, I can't. Hallelujah. It's the it's that real to me. I've gone too far. There's no going back. I'd rather die. Um. Like Peter said, he says, "To whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. To whom shall we go? There's nowhere to go." There's no one to go to. Nothing will satisfy if you've come to meet the living God. <clears throat> you know, I remember my 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 former pastor told me that there was a period of time that he had backslid and he had gone to meth. Back, he had gone back to meth and he was hanging out again with Satanists and people who were living very dark lives. And uh, he said... When I backslid, I found out that I couldn't, I sucked at being a sinner. Because everywhere I'd go, I'd cry and I'd talk about God. And they would exclude me from their circles. He said, I sucked at being a sinner. Isn't that interesting? That God has so wrecked your life that you can't sin the same way you used to. You'd be terrible at it. Isn't that a blessing? Because the Holy Ghost resides in us and says, that's not your identity. That's not where you belong. That's not who you are. Amen. Definitely. <clears throat> that's why, you know, even in the book of Corinthians, and I don't know, as this is heavy, but it's nevertheless a mercy. There were certain people that were sinning in the Corinthian church. It says, for this reason, some of you have fallen asleep. In other words, you died. You physically died. Why? Because Paul says when we are disciplined of the Lord, it's so that we may not be condemned with the world. So the Lord actually cut their lives off, lest they fall even further into a permanent state of, of sin. And, you know, I don't I don't think you're going to hop in and out of that stuff like so easily. Like, oops, you know, I died. <laughs> you know, but it's it's just this persistence of, of rebellion in the wrong direction that unfortunately some believers succumb to. And, um, you know, but nonetheless is 
the way that we are delivered is by praying. <clears throat> Jesus said this, he says in Luke 11, deliver us from the evil one. Lead us not into temptation and deliver us from the evil one. And so how is it that we are delivered from such great pressures and deadly perils? Is Lord deliver us from the evil one. Deliver us from the evil one. That must be a daily prayer. Deliver because the devil isn't done praying on you. There isn't a single day that goes by. Just yesterday, I assure you, and I I, I know that I know this. I felt a demon come in my room. And I felt that face right next to mine. And I'm, you know, I don't say that. I don't think that happens every day. I'm not looking for demons. I was minding my own business, and I, I wasn't even thinking about demons. And a demon came in my room, and I felt him right next to my face. And I knew. I said, "Oh well, you just kind of blew your cover. Thank you for allowing me to stand on my guard. Now I'm going to get to praying." And so I was cognizant of it at that point. And why? Because sometimes they don't manifest with such presence and they're whispering in your ear they're whispering in your ear and you're not even aware of it and they're causing stress they're causing depression they're causing anger they're causing these different things as they're just whispering in your ears saying hate him hate him or don't forgive them keep harboring that Keep harboring that. And meanwhile, you think it's your thoughts. And it's it's the enemy implanting those things. And so a spiritual, an unspiritual believer is going to be taken out. That is why we must hear the voice of our shepherd and follow him and understand when he's speaking. <clears throat> Amen. Because the more the more we condition ourselves to say no to his voice, the lower his voice becomes. The lower and lower and lower and lower. And so may that not be us. Um, you know, we need to seek the Lord. Um, just last night, I got severely attacked and um, it's frustrating sometimes because you want to just relax and you want to rest and you're assaulted you're assaulted, insulted you know, all of that and you have to keep putting up your guard and you have to keep fighting the pressure doesn't end and there are momentary times when the Lord gives us a spacious place to rest. You know, David says he placed me in a spacious place. But right after that, after you've kind of partaken of the food that the raven gave you, after you rested a little while, fleeing from Jezebel, you have to go right back at it. And so let us not grow weary in well-doing. 